Bernard, Bernard Metzler uh, hosted a popular nationwide call-in radio show from 1967 to 1995. Uh, people would call in from all over the country asking for his advice on things uh, from their career to their relationships. And he said this about friendship. He said, a friend is someone who understands your past, believes in your future, and accepts you just the way you are. Truly great friends are hard to find, difficult to leave, and impossible to forget. A true friend is someone who thinks that you are a good egg even though he knows you are slightly cracked. All of us desire to have and be good friends. We want to have friends that we, that we cherish, that we can do life with, that can help us and encourage us. And we want to be the same to other people. And we've been looking for the last several weeks now, we've been looking through the Bible at the identities that God gives us. Too often we find our identity in what the world says about us or what our spouse says about us or what our employer says about us. And we need to understand that all these things we, we find our identity in, their titles but they're not who we are. As a child of God, we are who God says we are. And we've seen, of course, that we are his child. We are a child of God, adopted into the kingdom of God as the, the son and daughter of God. We are a priest. We are his bride. We are his servant. And each of these identities have a, a special meaning and a special privilege that is attached to them as followers of Christ. But this morning, we're going to look at another identity that Jesus gives us, and it's, it's one identity that we should all cherish. In John chapter 13, Jesus spends the last night before his crucifixion with the apostles. He, he is celebrating the Passover with them. We looked at it last week. He is celebrating Passover with them. He is instituting the Lord's Supper. He is just spending some, some precious moments with these men who he's done life with for three and a half years before the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection that he knows is going to come. And during this special night, Jesus takes some time and he washes the disciples' feet and he, he teaches them the value of serving. And we saw that last week. And he challenges them to identify as servants. But then later on in the evening, he calls them something greater. He calls him his friend. Look in John chapter 15, starting in verse number 11. <clears throat> These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things I have heard of my Father have I made known unto you. Now remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, Judas was there. The one who would betray him. The one who would sell him, had already sold him for 30 pieces of silver. The one who would point him out to be arrested so he would be taken away and, and led to this false trial. And he would be beaten and mocked and ridiculed and crucified. All because Judas pointed him out. Judas was there when Jesus washed their feet. When Jesus said, you're a servant, to be a servant and serve each other, Judas was there. In John 15, when he says, you're not just my servants, you're my friends. Judas is gone. He's already left to go 
do what he had intended to do. And so this tells us a very important truth. Jesus doesn't toss the word friend around lightly. He doesn't say just everybody's my friend. He says, you people who love me and walk with me and, and, and want to be with me, you are my friend. If you are called a friend of Jesus, it's because he wants to spend time with you. While he worked, walked the earth, Jesus spent a lot of time in Bethany with some of his good friends, Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And one day he stopped by to have a dinner with them. So look over in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we see this meal that Jesus is having with, with Mary and Martha at their home. Starting in verse number 38. <clears throat> now it came to pass as they went, as they went, that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. So Jesus, he stops by for a visit. And this, of course, in this day and age, there was no, uh, he couldn't give them a call and say, hey, I'm in town, I want to stop by and have dinner with you. He couldn't send them a text message or Facebook message. So he just, he just pops in. Don't you love it when the preacher just pops in? Just pops in and says, hey, let's see how you really live your life. And so Jesus just pops in one day. And so Mary and Martha are having this, preparing this meal for him. And of course, you know, when you have a guest in your home, you really want to impress them and be kind to them. And when you, especially when you have the Messiah come to dinner, man, you just want to put on the dog. You want to make sure everything's perfect. The house is clean and spotless. And man, it's just, it, it's, 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 it's very nerve wracking what she's doing. She wants to put, put forth a good foot and have a good impression, have a good meal for Jesus. I mean, when it, we always do this too. We have people in our home and the kids. They always hate it because whenever people over, we have a whole day. We're like, okay, it's time to really clean the house. And, you know, we're cleaning and sweeping under furniture. And we're like, clean out from under your bed. And they're like, why are they going to be under my bed? Like, they're not going to be under your bed, but just clean out from under your bed and do all this stuff. And so we're making sure everything's spick and span and spotless. Why? We want to put on a good impression. We want to be a good host. We want to have a clean home. And so we want to do a good job. And so Martha, man, she's, she's making sure the food's perfect. She's making sure the dishes match. She's making sure everything's just perfectly clean and, and right. I mean, she's just, she's killing herself being a good host. And what's Mary doing? She's just sitting down. She's just doing nothing. She's being lazy is what Martha thinks. So Martha looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, don't, don't you care that I'm killing myself over here to, to be a good host? that I'm killing myself to put a good meal for it, to make sure everything's done right, and I'm cooking and preparing everything. And look at Mary. She's, she's not doing anything. Jesus, make Mary get up and help me. Can you imagine talking to the Messiah that way? I mean, Martha's in a bad place. She starts talking to Jesus like this. And Jesus answers her in an incredible way. He says, Martha, you're so worried about the food and the dishes and being a good host for this meal, that you're missing the best part of the meal. The best part of the meal isn't the turkey or the stuffing of the sides. The best part of the meal is the guest. The best part of the meal is, is me. So Martha, Mary's doing what she's supposed to do. She's not worried about all the stuff. 
She's just spending time with me. See, Martha was too busy doing things for Jesus that she couldn't enjoy being with Jesus. She was more occupied with her calls than she was with Christ. Mary, however, she savored the opportunity to be with God. See, Martha viewed it as an evening for God. Mary viewed it as an evening with God. Very different views. I love Mexican restaurants. Anybody else here love Mexican food? Man, I love Mexican restaurants. I love, I love carnitas. And look, honestly, I know we all have our favorite Mexican restaurant, but they're all the same. Honestly. I mean, I know some of them have salsa bars, and that's pretty cool. But the food is pretty much all the same. And so I love going to Mexican restaurants. I really miss going to the Mexican restaurants in Chicago because they were true Mexican restaurants. You walk into a restaurant in Chicago, and they speak no English, it's going to be good. And I know it sounds weird, but the dirtier, the better. And so you walk into a grungy-looking place, and they're like, no hablo English. You're like, yes, let me just give me something, anything, just pile it here, and I'll eat it. But I love carnitas, the, the little chunks of pork with the, the spice and the onions and the peppers. and the, Oh, I just love it. Let's, let's dismiss and go home for dinner. Amen. But I just love Mexican restaurants. But you know what happens when you go to a Mexican restaurant and you sit down? You know what they bring you? Chips and salsa. And they're going to keep bringing you chips and salsa all night long until your food comes. And sometimes after your food comes. And so what happens is I typically we go and I'm just I'm starving. I'm excited. I'm going to my Mexican. I'm going to get my carnitas. I'm going to, oh, it's going to be good. And I sit down and they bring the chips in there and the salsa. And I just start devouring the chips and salsa. And one basket's gone and they bring another one. And two baskets gone. They bring another three baskets. And you know, before you know it, you are, I am stuffed with chips and salsa. And then they come and say, would you like to order anything? And you're like, my check would be good. I'll take the free chips and salsa and be out of here. So you order the meal. And so by the time the meal comes, you're, I'm full of chips and salsa. And so what are you going to do? Pack up the meal and take it home? No. You eat it. But it's not enjoyable. Because you're just so stuffed. And it's uncomfortable. Like, oh, I shouldn't have eaten so many chips and salsa. I should have saved some room for the, the meal I came for. Now, look, I love chips and salsa. But that's not I went, why I went to the restaurant. I went to the restaurant for the carnitas. But I couldn't enjoy them because I filled up on the free chips and salsa. Martha couldn't enjoy a night spent with Jesus because she was filling up on stuff that didn't matter. She was filling up on the cheap things of life. If you're not hungry for a close relationship with God, it's because you're filling up on the cheap things of life instead of spending time with Him. If you're not hungry to sit at the feet of Jesus as Mary did, it's because you are spending so much time focused on the parts of life that really don't satisfy. We don't need the chips and salsa. We need, what we need in life is Christ. We need a close, intimate, personal relationship with Him. That is the only thing that will satisfy us. And Jesus calls us His friend. He says, you are my friend. He invites us to know Him to walk with Him, to fellowship with Him, to spend time with Him, to be satisfied by Him. So what does it mean to be a friend of Christ? Well, a couple things. First thing it means is it means He shares His thoughts. He shares His thoughts with us. We share our thoughts, our hopes, our dreams 
with our friends. We share our desires. We share our worries. We share our fears. We share our thoughts with our friends. In the Bible, Abraham was called a friend of God. And as God's friend, God shared his thoughts with Abraham. In Genesis 18, Abraham had an incredible afternoon. He's out there one day just working in his yard, and he looks up, and three men are coming to him. And he knows right away that it's not three regular men. This is a, a Christo- This is God coming to visit Abraham in, in the Holy Trinity form, the God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Ghost. So God is coming to spend time with Abraham. And Abraham, man, he gets excited. He kills the fatted calf. He gets him some cool water to drink. He's making sure they're taken care of, and they sit down and enjoy some sweet fellowship together. But after a while, God gets up. He walks away a little bit and he starts looking towards Sodom. And he looks troubled. And the Bible says, in verse number 17, says, shall I hide that thing which I do from Abraham? He, of course, he's, he's about to pass judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. He's about to destroy these two wicked cities. And he gets up and he looks over and he says, should I, should I tell Abraham what I'm doing? Should I let Abraham in? On my plans. So God invites Abraham into a conversation to share his plans. Why? Did he need Abraham's advice? Was he unsure of what he was doing? Was he confused and looking for someone to bounce ideas off of? Was he wanting his feelings and his plans validated? No, of course not. God shares his thoughts with Abraham because they're friends, because he loved Abraham. And wanted Abraham to know what was on his heart. Jesus says, you're my friend. And because you are my friend, I share with you all of my father's business. What that means is as a friend of God, you are in God's inner circle. He shares his thoughts with you. It's easy to look at Abraham's relationship with God or the disciples' relationship with Jesus and grow envious. You know, God has never come down and spent an afternoon with me, fellowshipping over a meal, telling me how many kids I'm going to have and what they're going to do. And I've never been able to walk with Jesus like the disciples did and work with them and serve with them and and just spend some precious time with Jesus. I've never enjoyed those things. But Jesus tells us that we have a deeper relationship with God than Abraham or the disciples could have ever imagined. After Jesus tells the disciples that they're his friend, He tells them it would have been better for them for him to leave the world. How how can it be? How can it be better for the disciples to not have Jesus with them? To not have Jesus walking with them, teaching them, encouraging them, being with them. Because when Jesus left, he was going to send the Holy Spirit to be their comforter, to be their counselor, to be their teacher. And the Holy Spirit would always be with them. The Holy Spirit would never leave them and always work through them. In John chapter 16, verse 12, it says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but, I can, but you cannot bear them. Howbeit, when the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, he, that he shall he speak, and he will, sh- will show you things to come. And he will glorify me, and he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. As a Christian, we have better than an afternoon with God. 
as a Christian, we have better than three and a half years walking with Jesus on earth. As a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. We are always with God. Why? Because we're his friend and he loves us and he wants to spend time with us. The Holy Spirit takes the thoughts of God and he makes them known to you. He speaks truth into your life through the word of God. He guides you. He will never mislead you because the Holy Spirit of God is giving you the heart and the will of the Father. You are God's friend and the Holy Spirit shares his thoughts with you because he never leaves you. Yes, Abraham enjoyed an afternoon with God, but God left. Yes, the disciples got to work with Jesus for three and a half years, but Jesus left. Once the Holy Spirit comes inside your heart, he never leaves. You are always in the presence of God. The disciples only enjoyed the presence of God when they were close to Jesus. You are always close to God. So your friendship with God can be deeper because he is always talking to you. He is always guiding you. He is always leading you and working in you. You are his friend, and through the Holy Spirit who lives in you, he speaks to your spirit. He speaks to your heart. You know, we all have friends that don't listen well. We all have friends who talk too much. We all have friends who, when they call, we, may, we love them. They're our friend, but unless we have an hour to kill, we're going to screen their call. And if you're like, I don't have a friend like that, you are that friend to someone. We've all got those people that are like, man, I love that. I love them, but man, they just, they just don't ever listen. They don't ever, it's always a one-sided conversation. They never let me talk. And we love them because they're our friends, but conversation with them are, are frustrating, not refreshing. I wonder if God ever feels the same way about us. We'll talk to him, but we never listen to him. We never stop talking and just let God speak to us. God speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through preaching. He speaks to us through prayer. He speaks to us wanting to share his thoughts, his desires, his heart with us. But too often we talk over him. As his friend, we're to listen. He shares his thoughts with you, but also he shares his greatness. When something great happens in our lives, we call our friends. If we have great news, we call our friends to share it with them. Moses enjoyed an incredibly close relationship with God, a friendship with God. And God showed his greatness to Moses in Exodus chapter 33. <coughs> the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. In verse 18, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Now, obviously, you know, it's kind of confusing because the first one says, oh, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. And you're like, but then he says, you can't see my face because they'll die. So obviously Moses didn't talk face to face with God, but it's talking about the close relationship he had. He had the ability or the relationship with God where he could talk 
talk to him as he would talk to a friend. But Moses did speak to God as a friend. They enjoyed a closeness and intimacy because of their relationship. And because of their close friendship, Moses asked God to show him his glory. He said, God, show me the greatness of all your attributes. And amazingly, God agreed. Keep reading through and God puts him in a cleft of rock and walks past him and got Moses gets to see the glory of God. The greatness of God. Jesus says you're his friend and he has great things to show you. God desires to reveal his greatness to you. Just like he did Moses. You know, we live boring lives because, uh, for God because we don't enjoy a closeness with God that brings us to the point of asking to see his glory. We pray small prayers and attempt small things for God instead of asking God to show his glory to us in incredible ways. I want to pray, God, show me your glory instead of, God, just bless me today. But that's what we pray, God, bless me. We wonder, how come we don't get to see the glory of God? Because we don't ask. As his friend, he wants to show us his glory. I want to be so close to God that he is constantly showing me his greatness. I want to be part of great things for God, things that can only be attributed to the greatness of God. Elijah, he was a man who was deeply committed to God. He enjoyed a close friendship with God where he was able to see God's greatness on display. He was a prophet who spoke for God and to God's people, and he was distressed and burdened because Israel was worshiping false gods. The, uh, the people of Israel had shifted their affection away from God to false idols. Elisha served during the reign of King Ahab, and King Ahab was a wicked king who led Israel into Baal worship. They had set up and idols all throughout the, the country to worship these false gods. And one false they, god they worshiped was God Ashereth. And she was the god who was in charge of the weather. And because of their idol worship, God sent a three-year drought to the nation of Israel. Where for three years it never rained. For three years the weather didn't do what, it, what they wanted it to do, what they prayed for their god to do. And so Elisha... He is used by God to show his glory. He, he challenges 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah to show up on Mount Carmel to have a, a showdown. He goes, here's what we're going to do. You're going to build an altar. You're going to offer a sacrifice, and you're going to pray to your gods. And if fire comes down and consumes the altar, then we'll worship your gods. But if that doesn't work, then I'm going to pray to the God of heaven. And when fire comes down and consumes the altar and the sacrifice, then we'll know who the true God is, and we will all serve the God of heaven. So they come together, these 850 prophets, they build this altar, they have the sacrifice, and man, they're chanting, they're dancing, they're cutting themselves. They're doing everything they can to try to get their false gods to show up and start this thing on fire, and nothing happens. It's not a wisp of smoke, nothing. And man, Elijah, he's having a good time. He's just sitting under there in the shade of a tree going, maybe, maybe he's not home. Maybe you need to talk about it. Hey, and you read this in the Hebrew, it's so funny. He goes, maybe he's in the bathroom, just wait a bit. And just, just picking on these, these, these false prophets. And finally, hours and hours and hours go by nothing. So finally they stop and he says, okay, it's my turn. So he gets up, he, he fixes the altar, and he pours, has them pour 12 barrels of water on the altar. And everyone is watching as Elijah steps up to pray. 
So in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36, it says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. So, man, what an incredible moment. For hours, these false prophets are, are cutting themselves and, and dancing and now they're, they're half naked and stripped down and bleeding in the corner. And Elisha steps up and just says, God... Show them how great you are. And the fire comes down and it burns the sacrifice, burns the wood, burns up the stones, burns up the ground, licks up the water, the twelve, just destroys everything. And everyone looks and says, God is the Lord. He's the one true God. Their gods did nothing, and the God of heaven just devoured the sacrifice. But why did Elisha pour all that water on the altar? So there would be no doubt that it was God that did the miracle. That no one could sit back and say, well, maybe he struck a match and just tossed it on there. Maybe it's so hot it's a drought. And, you know, if, you, if you've ever dealt with hay, if you pile hay up, hay, man, hay gets real hot. And maybe that stuff got hot and just kind of started smoldering and just sparked instantaneously and spontaneously combusted. He goes, I want everyone to know that God is the one who worked a miracle. See, God is attracted to situations where it will be clear he is the one who intervened. God is attracted to situations where his friends sincerely ask for his greatness to be displayed. Maybe you need some water poured on the situation in your life. Maybe you need to give up and let the, your friend, God the Father, fight for you. Maybe you need to have God show you his greatness. As God's friend, God shares his thoughts with you. He shares his greatness to you. And thirdly, he includes you in his work. We include friends in our plans and our activities because it's more fun to do life with friends and do it alone. You know, you get tickets to a, a, good, a big game. You, wanna, you, don't wanna, you could go by yourself, but you want to go with a friend. Why? Because it's more enjoyable. It's more fun to go with a friend and spend life with him. And Jesus declares us as his friends. And because we are his friends, we are included in God's plans. Look, God doesn't need us, but he chooses to include us. From the beginning of creation, God's included man. You read the creation story. God creates heaven and earth, creates everything in six days, creates Adam. And then after he's created Adam, after he's rested, he takes Adam and says, Adam... I've created all these animals. I want you to name them. Why? Why did God want Adam to name all the animals? I mean, it's a great day. Adam's sitting there with God and everything comes by. And he's like hippo, platypus, rhinoceros. And he's just naming all these things. Why did God need Adam? To, was he out of creative power? Was he too tired to do it? No, he didn't need Adam to do anything. He wanted to include Adam in his work. He wanted to include Adam in what he was doing. And the only story in the gospel, the only story that's included in all four gospels is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. 
It's a great story. Jesus has a great day here. He's teaching. It's getting late. The disciples say, hey, Jesus is late. People are hungry. Send them on so they can get the Cracker Barrel in time. And he's like, no, no, no. We'll feed them ourselves. And man, the disciples are like, there's no way we can feed them. You know, if we go to the bread store, we need, you know, six years of salary to even feed these people. There's no way. And Jesus says, we'll just have them all sit down. We'll figure out what to do. They find the lad who's got some, some, a little lunch, five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus tells the disciples, just sit everybody down, put them in, in rows, have them sit down and eat. And then he prays over the food. He blesses the meal. He gives it to the disciples. And the disciples go throughout the crowd of, of 5,000 men. There was probably fifteen to 20,000 people there. And he fe- they hand out the food to all these people. And when it's all done, the disciples have a basket full each, 12 baskets left over. Now look, Jesus could have very well just said, have everybody sit down, Father, feed them, and everyone have a four-course meal put in front of them. That would have been a big miracle. We'd still be talking about that miracle today. It would have been incredible. But why did he want the disciples to serve? Because he wanted them to be a part of what he was doing on the earth. He wanted to use them to work for him. God wanted to work with them. He wanted to include them in his plans. As his friend, God wants to work in and through us and include us. Why? Because the disciples' faith was strengthened by serving for Jesus. God wants to include us in his plans because it strengthens our faith. You are God's friend. He shares his thoughts with you. He shows his glory to you. He includes you in his plans. And we are to respond to this reality by enjoying being with him. Mary and Martha and Lazarus were all close friends of Jesus. And in John chapter 11, Lazarus gets very sick and dies. And of course, you all know the story. Jesus is told before he dies that he's sick, but he delays and he comes four days after he's dead. Of course, we know the miracle. He, he, he goes to the grave and says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes up from the grave. And it's an incredible story showing the greatness of God. But the very next chapter in John chapter 12, Jesus is once again eating at Mary and Martha's house. And the Bible says that Lazarus was at the dinner party reclining at the table with Jesus, in John chapter 12, verse 2, it says, But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Where else would he be? He was Jesus' friend. He'd seen his glory, and he wanted to be with him as much as possible. Like Lazarus, we were dead. We weren't physically dead, but we were dead in our sins. But Christ, he gave us life. And he invites us into a friendship with him. Where else would we be but with Jesus? Where else should we desire to be but with him? Because we are his friend, enjoy being with him. Your spiritual journey is not a journey toward God. It's a journey with God. The message of the gospel is not about doing things for God, to get to God, It's about spending time with God. Live your life as dinner with Jesus, not dinner for him. You are his friend. Spend time with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.